Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hi, Garbage fans. It's me. And before we start this bonus episode, I just want to let you know two things, good news and bad news. The bad news is that I recorded this podcast at my kitchen table where my dog took it upon herself to decide that she was going to be the third guest on the podcast and uh, that she should, you know, whine, make lots of sounds on the floor, lap up her water. The good news is that this episode is to celebrate the audiobook of Promising Young Women, which is out now on Audible and all the other places that you get audiobooks. It's narrated by my friend and our guest, Tessa Coates. Keep listening until the very end. You can hear her reading an exclusive extract, which I really recommend because I think Tessa has done a brilliant job and she's really made me like my own work again, which, you know, is kind of a hard thing to do once the book has been out for a little while. So yeah, enjoy the podcast and I'll speak to you soon. Hi, and welcome to Sentimental Garbage, the podcast where we talk about the checklist that made us who we are. My name is Karen Dunhue, and I'm an author, a journalist, and a five-inch hologram asking for help. Joining me is comedian, podcaster, and now audiobook star, Tessa Coates! That's me. You're a star of audio. Read by Tessa Coates. <gasps> yes. So, uh, for regular listeners who are... Um, Confused as to why this podcast is going out not on our usual date. Um, this is a special bonus because Tessa, you are many things to me: um, oh. friend, muse, fan. <laughs> um, but you're also we're in a very um, select circumstance that I think is not very normal for friends, which is that you are reading my audiobook. Yes, yes, I'm very extremely proud and honoured to be reading it. Um, and uh, I've read Caroline's debut work, Promising Young Women, and I do some voices. It sounds really good. I've listened to it a little bit this and over, and I'm so, so pleased. It's a very weird process, audiobooks. They just sit you in a little room that is like the choky, but padded. <laughs> but nails and glass. Yeah, but instead of nails and glass, it's like padding. Sure. And glass, and then a man sits outside the glass, and he's just like, off you go. And you're like, oh, right. And you just begin and off you go. And so you have to make a lot of choices um, along the way. With no confirmation from anyone. No, no, he doesn't care. (laughs) So he's just there to stop you like banging or coughing or sneezing or, you know, so he's not there to say, I think you're going to regret that or (laughs) don't, that sounds racist. (laughs) Or they're not Chinese. (laughs) No, why have you done that? Or, oh my, like, yeah. So much, so so much of how good an audiobook is is up to the discretion of the or of the the person who's yeah. Reading so it. it turns out you've got I've got all this enormous autonomy, and I was like, and I said to him, I was like, well, I could do the voice, and I could just be like, um, there she goes, she said, um, oh, it's it's me, the old, uh, I, I sell the chips and down the, down the, <laughs> it's me in agony, aunt. it's me, I'm um, twenty six years old, yeah, oh, you've got a problem, have you? Well, just don't, just man up or something, don't you? Love jolly politely. <laughs> I logged out. You know, like there's no reason. There's no reason, and there's no one to stop me doing that. Um, Thank you found, so much. You're so welcome. So I took. I felt this. What I'm saying is that I felt this enormous. Um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Like burden of care. Yeah. That I must protect this thing. You know that I had to make all these choices, and I just tried to do my best to think what you would have wanted and. Well, quite. Sorry, if anyone here is a third voice on the mic, it's because we're doing this in my kitchen and my dog is sitting on the table next to us. So involved. So involved. Really doing a very good Charlie Rose impression, just very yeah. serious. He'll be very invested in in the work. Um, oh, blinking so forlornly. Um, so yeah, so I hope it's nice to listen to and I hope you, I hope I do the work good service because I, I have absolute faith that you will because actually we were in this very kitchen mm. 
only a few months ago when I had my, my paperbacks for a promising woman came through and there was a big stack of them on the kitchen table and you picked it up and you started reading it out loud and I had this like lovely swell in my chest that was like this is the first time I don't despise this book since it came out mm-hmm. because that's what happens with books is that you, you, you grow to hate them like they're the kind of um the kind of the ugly twin to yourself you feel you know mm-hmm. what I mean mm-hmm. that there's a sister that just keeps following you everywhere and saying dumb things that you don't even believe in anymore, but they're just saying them anyway. Um, buy the book. <laughs> um, but then to have like you with your with your lovely voice and your lovely um, theatre training, it's just <laughs> fantastic. Entirely self-taught, would you believe? No one would take me. <laughs> but that, as I was saying that, I think I've been to a wedding this last weekend, and I spent the whole time on the dance floor just shouting. I, I'm entirely self-taught about my dancing. <laughs> and then a friend, a friend. I had several compliments the morning after. And then another friend, while we were drunk on the dance floor, said, it's so great how you always play the dance floor for laughs. And I was like, I, I ain't playing this for laughs. This is my best work. I was horrified. Um, so not a classically trained dancer, not a classically trained speaker, but do buy the book and come to my dance, <laughs> dance floor. recital. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love you to you, come to you that. You could have fooled me. Oh, Truly. This is a book that, it's called Postcards from the Edge by the late, great Carrie Fisher. Mm-hmm. Much missed. Um, Much like just a just a real character mm. and you don't get a lot of them these days do you, you? really don't I feel like we're really running thin on the ground with legitimate genuine eccentrics anymore yes you know what I mean I absolutely concur like people who will go on a talk show and will like tell the person to like fuck off or mm-hmm. will bring their dog on a talk show and uh, as Carrie Fisher did towards the end of her career and just say Gary's bored halfway through the interview if she wasn't enjoying herself yeah that is true eccentrism that only yeah. comes if you were from if you were born of Hollywood yeah and you don't have anything to prove to anybody yes there is this amazing phrase that is from you've got to stop that there i'm sorry i can't even tell how much she's been picked up by the mic but i really hope she stops whining soon <laughs> gary's bored <laughs> gary is bored um uh there is this fantastic phrase that is in the book um infinite jest what oh an, what excuse an, me sorry. oh clonk 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 i just dropped this um <laughs> i have not read the book i have yeah. not read infinite jest but a friend once uh talked about a passage in it I have absolutely no concept even in what the book is about but there is a phrase in it describing what it's like to be hung over um, and using the phrase um, the cold majesty of the numb and Ooh. there's something really when you're very hung over and you're just walking very very upright with your sunglasses on and you're just getting through the day and nothing can really stop you or phase you or because you're already you know you're beyond Right? The cold majesty of the numb. Of the numb. I love that. It's maybe rich. Infinite Jest is good and not bad. Right, maybe it is good. I actually know if it's being... I'm going to move the dog because she is... What do you want? She wants to be on the podcast. I'm going to move it. No. So, um, the cold majesty of the numb. Anyway, the cold majesty of the numb. And that is something that I feel like Carrie Fisher uh, was. Just this, like, sailing... Uh, force of nature yeah. powering through her life in this like unflappable way that yeah. she had already done so much sort of almost so much damage to us like it was she was on you know Gary's board if you've seen Postcards from the Edge the film which you haven't there's like this whole bit where it's like you it's a real insight into what the kind of Debbie Reynolds Eddie Fisher household would have been which is just perform 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 and it's that I think it's quite common to like Nora Ephron and Dorothy Parker of like don't just tell me a depressing story like mm-hmm. give me some give me some zhuzh you know what I mean give me some yes. meat which is why I was going to get on to why I kind of suggested for us to do this book together because neither of us have read Carrie Fisher no but uh, she reminds me of you like without Thank the you drug addiction so much. does she remind I- you of you <laughs> The, I mean, it feels uh, very obnoxious to take like, someone really fantastic and to say that you see a lot of yourself in them. It feels very, um, very grandiose thing to do. But yes, very. I really, um, I reading her work, I really I feel a great kindredness yeah. with her. Um, I, I sort of read her in your voice. Oh, thank you. So because so reading this, I kind of read it like last weekend. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's, not, it's not a very long book. Um, you can do it in like an afternoon, really. Um, and I knew I was, I had just come off a long point of seeing you because we'd been on holidays together. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I was reading this with you in mind. So it was just like those kind of like witticisms and stuff. And that thing of like, that very much is common to you of like, you won't really suffer fools gladly. And you certainly won't suffer boring fools gladly. <laughs> like you make me check myself so much. There's times where like, I'll go into my little... 
oh well yes you know as a child in Ireland and like you won't even allow it for a minute you'll be like no no <laughs> oh thank you and I honestly I find that incredibly refreshing to be around as I'm sure people found Carrie Fisher Fisher very refreshing to be around because like London is a town where people will just like let you have your bullshit and then zone yes. out and come back in when they have something to say about themselves Yes. But Carrie wasn't like that, and you're not like that. Oh, you know. Thank you, thank so. you so much. Yeah. Yes, that's yeah, that's that's me, I guess. <laughs> so just me saying to the audience, Tessa Coates, great friend to have. Oh, thank you. Yes, I don't. I'm not. I have been called up in the past for being too blunt. Yeah. And uh, saying exactly how I feel, but I don't have any time for your bullshit. So, don't, so I'm, come I'm, on. I'm glad that you don't have any time for anyone's bullshit, and you don't have a personal vendetta against me personally. No. No, I don't. No. I was just thinking that very a little while ago I was forced to go on this walk in which I met a strange woman. <laughs> <laughs> just <laughs> our woman? Yeah, well, it's the story won't make any sense, really, but I was forced to do this walk in which this woman, this very large woman, was complaining, very large, obnoxious woman, sort of who just, like, talks about themselves. Yeah, yeah. You just met somebody, and they'll be like, well, John's gone, and you're like, right? <laughs> sure. Sure. I guess we're talking about... I guess... Go on then. And uh, she complained the whole way around this. She'd been complaining for an hour about, you know, walking. And then I eventually was like... She was like, and my feet hurt. She'd been playing my feet hurt. And I said, well, your shoes are incredibly cheap. And you did in <laughs> yeah, your heart. Like, well, I did. Ah! Well, because I was like, well, they are. You bought... And I was like... And she was like, how do you know that? And I was like, you can tell. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. But no, I really, really love Carrie Fisher. And I did not really know very much about her, actually, until she died. And yeah, that's the case for a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. So I... If you're not like a big, either a big old Hollywood person... Yes. Or a big um, Star Wars person... Yes. Why uh, would you find out? You exactly. Know? So I didn't know who Debbie Reynolds was. Lucy, I certainly didn't know that was her child. Mm-hmm. Um, there's that beautiful picture that I have... Um, that I saw on the internet when she died, and then I bought a print of it because I loved it so much, which is Carrie as a child watching Debbie yeah. through the curtain yeah. in this like black and white print. It's just, Carrie must be five or six or something, and it's just really beautiful. And there's one of them with their foreheads together um, when she's much older, yeah. so she must be Carrie about 20, and um, like a sort of mother-daughter. It's just like beautiful. I really love both of those. Um, and so I didn't really know much about her till then. The Star Wars films... Um, mean nothing to me personally yeah I know them but not well yeah and they all came out sort of before I was really born yeah born. not to yeah. say like you can't enjoy stuff that was made before you were born but it, it passed me by a little bit mm. um so I obviously know who she is um and then I feel like both of us came from more Indiana Jones households certainly yeah certainly you yes. can slice off any part of the Harrison pie I think yes and so yes you're quite right yeah you're, you look you've hit the nail exactly on the head <laughs> we got some Harrison pie you just you just know who's in an Indiana Jones yeah. household and who's in a Star Wars household yes you know? and we did not get a star I didn't get a Star Wars upbringing mm. um, I knew it and I you know to my shame, there's some I still haven't seen, and I'm very sorry about that. I don't, I don't. I've tried to watch it in later life, and I don't care for it. I generally don't care for space as a concept. I don't mind uh, this. I don't mind this. <laughs> I don't mind. I don't really like. Um, don't like more 
space set in the real I don't like aliens mm. or um, as in the film alien anything or intercellar or anything I don't, especially not anything involving time space time like yeah. you set off and the child was a baby and now the child is 50 like mm. that's too much too much mm. for me so I don't mind like oh we're at the galactic council and I'm a pig but or, you know <laughs> like that I've got loads of time for yeah. you know um, which so sounds I, like you know it sounds Star like Star Wars, Wars could be so I have, I have seen all the point, new ones we've the seen ones. so many pastiches of Star Wars exactly. that to go back is to be like well this is basic you know yes exactly so I really would like to sit down look I'll do it tonight okay I'm going to sit I'm, down you're not I'm, going to and I'm not going to and let's let's call the whole thing off one day because what we have done is yes. we've read postcards from the edge yes we have done that and I'm going to summarise the plot for us please right now um right so, Suzanne Vale is an actress and drug addict who is attempting to dry out and get her life together following an overdose. Postcards from the Edge is a book that features snapshots from a year of Suzanne's life following her experience in rehab, her dysfunctional relationships with men, her attempts to get her film career back on track, and finally finding love. And if this is the first of Fisher's seven books that she wrote. She Incredible. wrote like four novels and three memoirs. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's interesting about it is that it's literally... the it does what it says in the tin it is postcards it is like it is like snapshots of a woman's life over Mm -hmm. the course of a year um starting from like i think the first line in the book is like i gave the guy who's pumped my stomach my number Mm -hmm. and the last is like her her being quite settled a a year later kind of thing and and we what's interesting it's reading it the, the experience of reading it is a bit like what i imagine it was going to a party with Carrie Fisher, which is you walk into a room, she's yes. halfway through a story. You're not going to slow down that train and ask her to explain herself. So it's just up to you as the reader to just yep. be like, okay, what? Like she yep. had stomach pumped and then what? Okay, and now she's in the cop movie and what? And like, you just sort of, it's like walking into many different rooms where Carrie Fisher is speaking and then being expected to keep up because yeah. she expects that level of intellect from everyone around her. Yes. A hundred percent. It's really, it's moving at a real pace. And at no point, you're constantly like, who's this character now? But you yeah, know, yeah. I'm exactly like you're describing at someone at a party, you, you'd be like, well, they're in full flow and I've missed the beginning of this anecdote, but it sounds yeah. like it's being told so well that I'll just get on board. Yeah. You know, and you do, you just, you just, she expects you to keep up and you do. You do, like, do, you, do you think it was effective? Like, if it were you, would you have, if you were her, Carrie's editor? Given that this oh, is a debut so, book, essentially. Oh, yeah. So firstly, I was even... I didn't even know it was a novel. So I... Yeah. Uh, many things seemed to have passed me by. I didn't know there was a film until I started mm-hmm. reading this book. And I, it's got Meryl Streep in it. And I cannot wait to watch it. I would. I wish I wasn't doing something tonight. Because I would love for us to just sit here and watch it together. Uh, yeah, so I won't be watching Star Wars. But I genuinely might be watching Postcards from the Yeah, um, And Amazon Prime for free, so... Oh, thank Great. God. I'm in. And also Carrie Fisher wrote the screenplay. Which I love mm. when women translate their own work mm. or just have the total control to to do that um so she she wrote it um uh, so anyway so picking the book up was genuinely surprised it was a novel i thought it was a memoir like her the princess diarist and mm-hmm. her other work um and then it begins with you know three or four postcards and then it begins with so the thing is uh, day one, maybe I shouldn't have given the guy who pumped my stomach my phone number, but who cares? My life is over anyway. And then that very much sort of sets the tone for the whole book, which is like, it's going to be very dark, but funny. Yeah. It, the whole thing is going to a dark place and she's going to be very droll throughout. Mm. Um, if I was her editor, uh, there's plenty I would have. <laughs> there are really? plenty of notes. Because the thing is, I, I enjoyed it and I enjoyed it for the Dorothy Parker witticisms. It's very yes. like, you might as well live, you yeah, know, it's absolutely. very bad. But it's like, in terms of story structure, I, I could tell why famously Carrie Fisher was the person who was brought into Hollywood scripts to punch them up with better dialogue. Yes. Because she's so good at dialogue. Yeah. And the, but the story is kind of half there. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to explain what the structure of the book yeah, is? Yeah, it's, it's a kind of a difficult one to explain. So it, it begins with literal postcards to people. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because it's like one to her friend, one to a monk she met. And it's like her like... It's an interesting look because this what was this character is an actress and you see her posing for different people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then you have her in rehab, and then you have uh, somebody who she meets in rehab's uh, point of view of her. Mm-hmm. It's this guy, this man called Alex, who we don't really hear much from again. No. Who just drops into the narrative and we get this very good first person description of him being on drugs. Yeah. And it's actually it, it almost feels like a short story that belongs by itself somewhere else. That is something that like so. 
reading that as her editor, yeah. I would have been like, let's talk about Alex. Yeah. And maybe let's take this work out of here. Yeah. Because I don't I think agree. it deserves to be in here. Um, it doesn't deserve to be in a good short story anthology. Absolutely. So it is. It's completely first person. Um, it's in a different font, so you know it's someone different. That really stressed me out. I know. It was really, it's really tedious because then you don't and you don't like him at all as a character. Yeah, and you're not supposed to. And you're not yeah. supposed to like him. We know nothing about him. He's just this like terrible junkie who who doesn't you know the classic doesn't think he's a drug addict and it's like I'm clean, I'm clean. I should and celebrate. And rejecting all hell. But yeah. It's clearly very privileged. Yes. And his um, parents are paying his rent. And well, they should because they owe him because he's there. The reason he's in drugs in the first place, yeah. and he starts, the worst kind of addict. The, the co- yeah, you don't want to get stuck with at a party. Yeah, and so the, his piece begins with it's been four days and he's been clean for four days, so he should cer- celebrate by doing some cocaine. Yeah, um, which is like this, and so this totally delusional. Yeah. guy um, it's a very accurate rendering I mean yes. you know I've known coke addicts I'm mm-hmm. sure you've known coke addicts and it is exactly how I imagine their internal monologue yes. to be it feels very accurate it's just whether it's the right thing for this book in particular yeah. is an interesting question yes because you definitely are like sk- slightly skimming ahead to get back to Carrie yeah, because yeah. or to really, Suzanne to rather. Suzanne because you don't really care about this guy and yeah. it definitely derails us for a good long while mm-hmm. but also as her editor, you feel like you gave her these notes and she was like, nah. <laughs> nah. Yeah, I'm doing I don't this. have to listen to you. I don't have to listen to you. I don't have to write a novel that goes beginning, middle, end. I'm just going to do this yeah. now. And I don't give a shit what you think, which is a lot of the heart of the book is this person who's like, this is it. You can like it or not, but it's good, so yeah. you're going to like it. Yeah. You're like, okay, I will. And it's very much this character who, and she's very like, upfront about this is basically a thinly veiled autobiography yes. like the things Suzanne goes through are things that Carrie goes through mm-hmm. and I think she maybe just wanted to allow herself to like create false names and false identities for mm-hmm. her to have mm-hmm. more fun with it I think yeah, that's yeah. probably the only reason it's really a novel um, and you get the sense this woman knows her effect on people mm-hmm. which is another parallel that she has with you I think but I'm going to stop bringing that up where she like she realises that she's like quite charming and she can talk her way into and out of any situation that mm-hmm. she wants and there's this like this lovely bit where she's like has this affair with this guy called Jack Burroughs and he re- and then she realizes that he's sleeping with everybody else as well and not only is he sleeping with other women he's sleeping with like quite like smart brash women mm-hmm. and she's like she's a whole lot of girl and I'm a whole lot of girl and like yeah. that's two lots of girls yeah 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 and I just I don't I love her I don't know it, sh- it shouldn't be charming to read about someone who knows that they're charming but it is but it is I don't know why Yes, I think it's because there's so much in it that's very relatable that you, you know, it's sort of like somebody making a nice crisp gag about something that you've never really heard anyone laugh about before because it's sort of totally taboo to even to talk, think it, you know, so her, um, her being disgruntled that he's sleeping with this girl and she doesn't care that she's pretty because she knows, or beautiful because she knows that's not her area and she can't compete. She's like, she's pretty in her own way and she knows herself. But for this other girl to be funny is just like, is like such a crushing blow because that's her thing. And, uh, and she's, and so, and I think that is something that all women and maybe all men have felt, you know, when you're having a sort of casual thing with someone mm. and you both know it's casual and it's very clear that they can see other people. But in the back of your mind, you're like, but I'm the best they'll ever have, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's obviously, an out- you can't even, you certainly can't vocalise that thought and you can barely entertain it because it's an outrageous thought, but it's there. And it's a thing because they're, 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 they're constantly, and most of the book is conversations. Mm-hmm. And I think she just, she says that conversation is almost like sex to her. Like she, Yeah, she, and that is apparently, like, there are whole reams and reams of pages that's just dialogue. Yeah, and but it's, it's such good dialogue. It's such good dialogue. Yeah. And it's, that the, it's quite refreshing because, like, their conversations, I mean, this book was written in 1987, mm-hmm. and a lot of it feels, like, very, very modern. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is, because they're both, both these characters work in film, mm-hmm. and they're, like, they're constantly saying things and being like, oh, that's good, you should use that. That's good, yeah, use yeah, that for yeah. something. And it's interesting because, like, Obviously, people who work in film in the 80s are going to be like constant. And they, she even described it. She's like, we're constantly using, living our lives so that we can have material. And what's interesting is that, like, now that what was once a very specialized frame of mind has now become a globalized one. Mm-hmm. That is how people feel all the time, regardless of whether they work in film or not. Yes, yes. You're absolutely right that now, because your whole life is up for 
up for selling. Yeah. Every time something happens, you're, you know, you're like, oh, let me. And like, have you ever had that moment where like, even if, um, you know, I've gotten to that place now where my work used to be very public and I used to write for a website where I was pushing out new stuff every day. So being looked at was something I got hooked into. Mm-hmm. And now I don't, I, I write novels, which take a lo- much longer time to come out. And I'll still have that weird itch in my fingertips being like, I have nothing to say, but I feel like I should post something yes I, like i should like, so many people are doing instagram stories right now i should really join the fray mm-hmm, <laughs> you know mm-hmm. um which is it's just an urge i despise yes absolutely it's i think at its worst in uh in comedy and in stand-up comedy because you see people you know laughing in a group at a party and you can just it's like you can see a heat map of people's heads in which yes people like can i have that like is that whose joke was that basically like can I have this oh my god yeah and so it's really it's a really tricky process to navigate to you know that you don't ever feel present anymore because every time you make a joke you're like oh put that in that's my yeah that's my literal my that's my trait that's my that's my job that's my work have you ever had the experience as a comedian where you've um you and another comedian have had different versions of the same event or the same thing what and both talked about it. Like yeah, as had, in, like, you both went to the same party and had a similar experience and then came away with different things, you know? That literal thing you just described. Um, n- no, and I, d- I certainly wouldn't mind. I don't, I don't, I couldn't give one shit what people choose to put out on the stage. Like, yeah. that I don't mind at all. So I don't even mind if you use um, literal things I've told you, you know, that people, I've seen people talk about, whatever, yeah. which I don't care one jot for. The thing I think I, I don't mind it, but the thing I think I resent a little bit is the, like, lack of people being totally present anymore at yeah. stuff. And yeah. so, you just like Carrie and Jack is, you know, or Suzanne is saying that, you know, people are like, oh, that's good. It immediately takes you out of yeah. actually being present and at something if you're um, you know, if you're listening to a really interesting story someone's telling, if suddenly someone's like, oh, that should be a that should be a sitcom. And if you actually work in an industry in which you can yeah. sell that, then instead of enjoying the story anymore, you're just like, is it? Like, can I? Can is I it sell get, it? Can I make that? Do you know someone? Should I make that thing? Like, should I use, be using it? And so then you, you um, much in the same way that I imagine if you're like an Instagram travel blogger. Yeah. Oh God, my croissant or your whatever your name. <laughs> oh my God, she croissants. Oh my God, she croissants. Which is my fake travel blogger personality. <laughs> oh my God, she croissants. I uh, so up. I I have no issue with talking about them publicly. But a um, a friend of mine from university um, is married to a girl now, and they are professional travel bloggers. And mm. um, <laughs> you just I see in that he takes these incredible photos, but. I'm like, it's so sad now that you can't ever... He and they, they as a couple must never be able to see anything nice without thinking yeah. we should take a picture of this now for our Instagram, you know? Yeah. So therefore it means that your whole life becomes, like, f- in some way for other people and you never can just sit and enjoy a sunset or, you know, go and see something. It's constantly like, how can we commercialise this? How can I sell it? How can I give it to someone else? Yeah. I've been reading it on Kindle and... Or Kindle on my iPad, and I don't know if this happens on all Kindles, but mm. it can have like a little dotted line underneath, and then it's of oh, what other people are yes. realizing, which I find fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting thing that Kindle does, and it and you get no other context, and you get no other notes no. or anything or comments. You just get the fact that three hundred and seventy-one people thought this was good. Yeah, and I really, really like that. That this something that you think like oh resonated with other people and it's like it this feels, weird message mm, in a bottle with other readers isn't mm, it it's I like really, the perfect amount of contact with other readers yes right because yeah. if there was like somebody popping up being like Julie thinks this <laughs> you'd be like absolutely not I don't give a shit but just to know that that, that number and just to know there are other people who, who felt similarly yeah. or felt it's affected really by smart. that it's so smart and it makes it such a less lonely experience when the stuff is about something that you don't like in yourself. Um, so she's in rehab at this point point. says, I feel so agitated all the time, like a hamster in search for a wheel. I'm consumed with panic that everyone will find out about this and hate me or laugh at me or worst of all, feel sorry for me. Pity me for taking my, and this is in capitals, everything that a human can possibly be offered and turning it into scallops and Percodan on the emergency room floor. And so she has overdosed on Percodan, but also been eating scallops. So what? <laughs> when her stomach is pumped, that's what comes out everywhere and she's sick. And so in the winter, I was offered this um, 
genuine like mind-bendingly incredible um deal in 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 hollywood i was offered i wrote a very small tiny little edinburgh show um and performed it in a room with 40 seats and then genuinely by accident um some americans came to see it and they bought it and they asked me to turn it into a tv show and the whole thing was so unbelievably stressful because i didn't ask for any of it and i know i knew that it was like people's dreams and here i'd been given this thing on a plate that I felt I couldn't enjoy and I couldn't hold on to. And so this idea of like her being given everything a human can possibly be offered and turning it into scallops and perk down on the emergency room floor really was like, you know, it felt so, we're only, on, we're only on page two. And I was immediately like, oh God, this book is going to be, this is going to yeah. really speak to me that like, um, you know, that what it is to be given lovely things in life and to not be able to hold on to them properly yeah. um, or to mess them up or to, not be able to, or to be perceived as being ungrateful for to them be because you're not ungrateful. enjoying them well. Yeah. It's like you're, it's like your new money in a way, yeah. you know, to success. Exactly. And to be unable to, to be unable to say, actually I'm struggling or actually that I'm having quite a yeah. hard time when people would be like, Oh, get out the tiny violins. What yeah. do you have to complain about? It's a, it's a really hard thing to admit as well, especially mm-hmm. when, um, so many of the people around you are people who would die for that opportunity. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And and they see, or you see as, you see yourself as having lucked into it. And so therefore, you're, the perspective you're giving them is that they think you lucked into it, whether or not they think that. Yes. You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it must happen, you know, for women who are, you know, happily married, but say, actually this yeah. small thing in our marriage is re- I'm really struggling to be unable to talk to their single friends about it you yeah. be like I mean yeah. fuck you like <laughs> oh yeah. you're having a horrible time nah, 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 and, nah, the, and, then, the... and then that's how people start um, siphoning off right that's exactly. how married friends start being married yes. well, they're only friends and baby friends and yeah. very successful people clubbing together and stuff it's not because um, it's not because they uh, will only talk to someone as successful as them. It's that because they have a now specialized set of problems. Yeah. They don't want to bother other people. Eh? Yes, absolutely. That Yeah, exactly. You, you find it impossible to talk on a genuine level about the thing, knowing that, you know, what, why, you know, all the rock stars end up with each other or famous people yeah. date famous people. But in the same way, doctors date doctors because they need somebody who can understand yeah. what they're going through. Um and yeah, and when your thing is ostensibly a positive, like being married or being given a, you know, movie deal or, or whatever, it's very hard to talk openly with somebody and not feel like you're just sort of shitting on yeah, them. Yeah. To be able to like please can you know. So it's a very Especially know, a when hard... it comes to something so performance uh, related because when you say, you know, say Suzanne or yourself mm-hmm. or whatever, you're, yes, you make this huge achievement. You clear this mountain. I think, actually, I think it was you told me that, like, the, the higher the climb, the windier the something. It's very powerful sounding, but that actually wasn't me. It's like... The windier the what? It's like, the higher you climb, the windier it gets or something. It's good. It was, it was much more elegant than that. Somebody successful told me it. Um, but, you know, you're... When you reach a, a level of success or an achievement or whatever, and you, but then once you clear that peak, there's a whole new set of uh, complications that come with it. Yes. And particularly in performance, where it's like, um, now everything that you are is judged all the time. Like how you, particularly in Suzanne's case, how you come across at parties mm-hmm. could affect your next job, mm-hmm. you know? And um, there's this one line... Which again was one of those like a thousand people have highlighted this, and she says, you know, I I went on a date last week, and he he kept calling me, oh you're a wonderful girl, you're a wonderful girl. And she's like, I I know I'm a wonderful girl, I'm a wonderful girl in auditions. I want to be something else to somebody else, and like it's like that whole that life of performing mm-hmm. and just and just wanting to be able to be vulnerable with somebody, but also being so terrified because you are born into this thing and mm-hmm. you live it and you don't know anything else. Mm-hmm. And there's no, there's no leaving to, you know, buy a farm in Montana for her. Like she could do no. that technically. Sure. Probably. But like, she's the daughter of a star. Like what, what do you expect her to do? Yeah. You know, she, she's trained to do only this. Yeah. There's a bit about, um, her feeling like she's trapped in a tower in her own head. Um, the wind, like, whistling around the castle and it's sort of this idea that like the more that you put up this like funny front and this um yeah you know uh glossy version that's really good fun at parties and we'll do the cocaine with you and like you know is up for a laugh um 
it makes it you get through the day but the tower just gets more and further and further away from anybody and so sort of what she's desperate for is someone to like get into the be able to get through everything and climb up to the tower and rescue her and just be able to have a genuine like human connection I suppose that's not um and then and equally about how sort of impossible that is because everyone's just going through their own human experience on their own yeah you know we can never truly we can never truly have a connection with another person you know yeah you know it's it's a lot it's it's, It's it's a lot to take in and especially if you've ever if you if you have been the funny girl at the party Mm -hmm. you know which i think both of us have been in different ways Mm -hmm. you know like speaking to your kind of like uh I went to a, to a party recently. It was a book party, and I've I've begun to enjoy them less and less. They used to be those things where I would go for the free wine or whatever, and uh, and now I feel like I've got something to lose because I've got this podcast, which you know people in books kind of know about now, and I've got deals of my own coming out or whatever. And I was feeling kind of vulnerable and weird, and somebody came up to me, and it wasn't that they were a bad person. It was just that they were saying. They had the bravery to say what everybody else was thinking, mm-hmm. and they said, "He said, oh, they said, oh, I heard about your new deal, and I got, I got this sort of new deal that that similar to your Hollywood deal means that like I now have access to something I had never had access before, and it came very quickly, and um, and I was like, yeah, 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 and he just kind of looked at me and was like, you should have seen the WhatsApp groups that day, and then just kind of swept away. Oh God, <laughs> and who said, was this man? Oh, I'll tell you off air. Oh God. Right. And it's, yeah, it's that thing of um, being at this party and being like, right, I'm just going to like be, have my glass of wine and be gas and tell some funny anecdotes and like make a joke about myself. And then, and then, but then you kind of, you can never escape the fact that you are at a professional event. And then you reach that point where all of your social events are professional events and mm-hmm. all your professional events are also social events. And it just kind of becomes a bit of a milieu. I'm sure you find that in comedy a lot as well. Yes. I mean, to yes, to to an extent. I mean, yeah. no one's making. I don't think it has quite the glam of the publishing. You know. I mean, it's not. It's this is warm white wine in a bookshop. <laughs> yes, but that's the thing is, like the first one does feel unbelievably exciting. Yeah. You know? The first book do that you go to, and there's free alcohol and a book. Yeah. You know? <laughs> a, book. a book. Someone I knew wrote a book. Oh my, my god! It's here yeah. in my hands. And then after a while, you're like, oh. It's not, you know, at the beginning. And, and that's what you get in this book as well, yes, right? Which is part of the sort of great tragedy of human existence is this, like, oh, another. Yeah. Oh, another thing. They're like, you're given this great, oh, God, if I may give you another. Uh, please do. Please. Um, the positive way to look at this is that from here things can only go up, but I've been up and I always felt like a trespasser, a transient at the top. It's like I've got a visa for happiness. <gasps> But for sadness, I've got a lifetime pass. And I shot through my 20s like a luminous thread through a dark needle, blazing towards my destination. Nowhere. Oh, God. Uh, and so much. And again, <laughs> thousands of people underlining this part. <laughs> but like, again, I think it really speaks to something very, very human. This like, um, you know, people being like, positive thinking, always up, up we go. And then you go to, you have these wonderful experiences. And, and then, you know, this great cruelty that we sort of can't enjoy them and yeah. can't have a nice time and, why can't uh, we have a nice time why can't we just have a nice time and i guess that's what the book is about is about trying to have a nice time trying it's, to... Try, it's trying to like sort of scoot back from the edge right mm-hmm. <laughs> yes it's yes it's trying to scoot back from the edge where to me it feels like suzanne has learned to be funny enough and clever enough and to sort of survive it all enough that she's hanging by like one hand from the ledge with like a cigarette in her other hand <laughs> and she's like wearing a sort of caftan and she's like ah you know <laughs> it's the edge it's the edge I guess like and it is like, postcard. you know mm, who cares like it's um, it, it's this like you know there's no sort of there's no fear there there's no oh dear there's no fear there it's not sort of horrifying she's just she's you know she's hanging on but if she and she's able to make these jokes but if she's also like looks at her situation she is literally hanging mm. off the edge mm. you know just because she's worked out how to make a quip about it doesn't mean it wouldn't be nicer to like climb back oh, up. That's so well put. <laughs> Very Thank smart. You. I enjoyed it. Eh. 
enormously yeah and i would like to read more of her stuff and again you're so you're so right that she is the punch-up lady you know this is not this great um narrative if if you were asked to describe what happened to you, you'd be like i don't know um someone's in rehab and then they're, <laughs> they're not and but like nothing so nothing really happens um it's not about things happening it's about chat it is and one of my favorite bits of chat is um when she's going through a bit of a depression where she kind of can't get out of bed for a few days Mm -hmm. and then she finds out that her friend who's also like a famous actress and I would love to know who that person is a stand-in for Mm. just for gossip's sake uh, just she invites her over and they just sort of like swan around in their pajamas just feeling like shit and then they're like do you know what we'll just go shopping and then they just go to like a food court and just sit there eating crepes and it's just I don't know I mean it's it's so stupid to be like famous people they're just like us kind of thing and then they end the day going to like a talk show but it's so mundane yeah you know yes absolutely I um when I was a teenager and was you know completely in love with Dougie from McFly oh um I um saw in some magazine once um that we had at school um him saying the question was like do you love parties or do you love to go to parties or whatever Mm. and um him saying oh they're actually not that fun going to those sort of parties um so it's actually just more fun at home and as a teenager who wasn't allowed to go to you know celebrity parties (laughs) sure nor was invited (laughs) oh yeah sorry sorry he was being stopped at the door from all my you came all my invites no of course like had not been invited to any of these cool things for whom home was the staple um that felt like the most outrageous comment the like how how could you not enjoy these incredible parties doggy get a grip doggy why would you not love the things but then and not to say i've been to you know the what's that what are obviously outrageously cool parties that doggy goes to but once you have been to enough stuff as a grown-up and it's not exciting anymore you do just want to go home in your pajamas even though that's the thing that was like your base level as a child and you were like Oh, wear it out these pajamas. Go to all the cool parties, you know. As soon as I am no longer excited by a gift bag, I will. I'll just have to end myself. I <laughs> because I just I can't imagine a world. Even when I go to a screening and it's just like, um, here's a paper cup with Captain Marvel on it. Yeah. I'm like, yes. I yeah. I I guess the gift bag will be the final straw. Yeah. I can't. I ends. cannot fathom never being excited by that. Yeah. Ever. There's always at least one good candle. Yeah, they're just... It's so thrilling to be given... You've just been given stuff. Given anything, yeah. So I really think I... Uh, even though I understand where Dougie came... Was coming from. <laughs> and that's what this book is about, really. Is understanding it's Dougie. It's about <laughs> Dougie's journey. Um, <laughs> even though I understand it, I think I will always still try and, you know, have a nice time at the things. Um, but it is... Exactly, it's about that. It's about, like, you know, dreaming of something and then getting it and it actually being sort of hollow and made of yeah. ash as literally every story is about you know yeah that it's easier to dream something than it is to actually hold it but what's really nice about this book in particular is it's kind of that story told in reverse because mm-hmm. you start yes. from a point of like everything sucks i'm totally hollow mm-hmm. this is total ash yes and then she builds to a place of being able to like oh actually you know i have a boyfriend now and he's yes. quite nice i've built to a place of being happy with not very much with not with no stuff it is it's the story in reverse i guess isn't it it's yeah. not like happy-go-lucky person given chance breaks you know, yeah it's the one another bit i enjoyed as well uh is this whole section with her relationship with jack burroughs mm-hmm. uh where it's another one of those moments where you're like, oh, it's so... I can't believe people haven't had... People haven't been having this discussion since, like, caveman days, mm-hmm. which is like, um, so I want to have sex with you, like, a lot, and, like, come to your house whenever I want, and, like, have these great conversations, but we're not together. Yes. <laughs> it's the but we're not together thing. But we're not together. And, yeah. and then both thinking that they can, like outwit monogamy mm-hmm. you know an outwit mm-hmm. feeling and they're like yeah yes. don't, don't, don't worry we have, we've thought our way around it it's fine yeah as literally everyone has done since time and ordinance yeah tried to outwit monogamy and been like oh but not us but we are fine no, no that happens us. to other people but not to me no i'm too know? smart for that <laughs> i'm too smart for that i really love he does something where you know, you hear it from her perspective the first night they sleep together and he's been really distant in the morning and for some reason she says that it was so arousing and then they end up sleeping together. And then he, telling it from his perspective, says he does his classic being all distant in the morning thing and then she was all over it. Guess she's not as smart as he thought she was. Um, Which is a thing and I have done 
right? Yeah, what, being scum and was distant? Yeah, as if, like, is, I, I've, like, woken up places and been like, oh, God, you know, what are we going to do here? And then the guy is like, Ugh. and I'm like, hey, I am special, and then I will, I will come over all strong then. Yeah, it is so, I mean, you're an anthropologist, you know how it goes. Oh, yeah. Just, you know, you got that spider monkey urge just to cling on to the last thing that was inside of you. Oh, God. Uh, oh, why God. is it always back to monkeys with you? Always I bringing that, up monkeys. I, that was nothing to do with me. I was just uh, thinking about, yeah, rethinking whether the, the distant boys I have known in the morning were playing the distant card or they actually just were distant. Men, just write in, please. Please write in to us to say... Were you being distant because you felt distant? Or <laughs> that's the thing, like you can't believe anybody has that level of gameplay right? in them. And, so and, and women everything. are billed as being sort of malicious and manipulative yeah. and gameplay, but yeah. like which is what we loved in the moment. Yeah, we're so simple and we're not playing you. So the idea that somebody would be distant to get what they want <sighs> unbelievable. Whereas really I felt like I'd, you know, insisted on it but maybe it wasn't me at all no it was just the game oh you've hated the player when you should have hated the game oh bloody hell <laughs> oh i've been got oh oh it's happened oh, again Caroline, i've been got again <laughs> oh <Not> jolly oh <laughs> i better write into my my website <laughs> um what did you think of her ending up with a nice man at the end i'm all for it me too. Yes, of course. Do it. Kind of tacked on, but sure. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed them. Yeah, the whole thing is sort of, you know, she has this very long conversation with her grandma, in which the grandma's basically like, I don't like your granddad. He's an idiot. But we, we're, we're doing it. Like, yeah. we're getting through it. That's And she's very like, you know, and this is an old person speaking to somebody who's young and who's nearly 30 in 1987, you know, um, saying you young people like you don't know how to stick anything out mm-hmm. you don't know this you know it's it the whole book could be read today like yeah it, it feels extremely modern and extremely relevant um and so you know you, you you just you flit about you don't you don't try you don't commit to anything you don't work on a relationship as soon as there's something wrong you say oh that's wrong that's broken that's the end mm-hmm. um and so I like that she just gets someone nice and normal and yeah, you know, and he's an author, and he's uh, yeah meets him on a talk show. Yeah, yeah, and like, they they make it. They I mean we don't know that part, but I hope they do. Yeah, it's like it's just a nice simple tale when she had been living at such a the extreme extreme highs, and then to find just a nice stable middle of the road. Yeah. Because without that, I mean, sure there aren't the highs, but there's also not the lows. There's this lovely bit where she's kind of slowly allowing herself to fall in love with this man. And uh, and it's kind of like all of her usual defense mechanisms are up. He just kind of blasts through them. Mm-hmm. He's just like, oh, shut up. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Right? Which is really nice. And also, like, people like to pretend that they're so complex and they're like, oh, no, my barriers, my intimacy, my issues. And all they really need is someone who they fancy to be like, shut up. <laughs> like, yeah. You're oh, being an no idiot. I love you. Shut up. Yeah. Um, and this is a bit where she's like, um, the other day I remembered something he said for the first time. Mm-hmm. Which is never a moment I I think about, but happens in every relationship, right? When you go from someone just being a guy who's rotating around the place to, like, someone you treasure deeply. You'd be like, hmm, he said this thing and it was funny. And, like, I'm just going to yeah, yeah, yeah. have a little oh, giggle yeah, about that now. That. Yeah. yeah. Um, the end of uh, Roald Dahl's <laughs> Cinderella. So, Roald Dahl's Cinderella? Mm-hmm. So I didn't he, even know that he did one. Well. Oh, you'll really like them. He wrote... Um, all the fairy tales as poems. Oh. Is there really Was that good. Rotten Rhymes? Or Revolting Rhymes. Revol- yes, I never had that one. Yeah. Oh, well, please. <laughs> please. Watch Star Wars. And then read. <laughs> anyway, so the Cinderella story um, is, it's, they're really great, all his poems, but the Cinderella one, she gets with the prince. Um, he turns out to be an absolute shithead, mm. uh, obviously. This like incredibly good looking prince. Sure. Turns out to be a dickhead. He's never worked during his life. Exactly, is, is a bellend. And um, and then right at the end, the final line, and then she leaves him. I think he chops off someone's head. It's like classic Roald Dahl. It's like really brutal. I think sure. a foot comes off. Like it's dreadful. Anyway, she leaves it all behind. She runs away. And then the end, it says, um, um, 
she married um, a simple jam maker by trade who made good homemade marmalade. Their house was filled with smiles and laughter and they lived happily ever after. And that's the final bit. So she's had this, and it was always my like um, goalpost of like the best thing you could possibly want. Marry like, a jam rather, maker. Ra- marry a jam maker, and your yeah. house would filled with smiles and laughter. And like he made, he makes mar- he makes good old fashioned marmalade. Like that's all you can want in a man, you know. And so she's gone after this prince, and then been like, oh, not for me. Like not this like showy, you know, flash and the balls and the money and all of this stuff. I just want someone kind, and that to me is what this, you know. Oh. That's lovely. Right? Yeah. Because that's it. At the end of the day, that's all anybody... That's all we can aspire to. Just a jar of marmalade and a, a joke. Just a jar of marmalade and, and, and a just, joke. Just a pal. And a just pal to come a pal, to. A pal, a pal, a pal. That's um, all we need. Yeah, that's all anybody needs. Um, but that's not in any of the stories. No one sells us the dream of the pal, you know? Yeah. Whereas it should be. It should be. Um... Thank you so much for coming on. Oh my goodness, thank you for having me. Uh, listeners who keep on listening will hear a snippet from my book, which <gasps> Tessa will be reading. Oh boy, stay oh with boy it, people. But before that, was there is there anything that you'd like to plug in your own in your own name? Oh no. No, nothing. You've got a podcast. Um Oh sorry, yeah. I've got a podcast. <laughs> I've got nothing i got a podcast it's called Nobody Panic um, it's hosted with Stevie Martin it's nice it's I've been on it oh you've been on it yeah Stevie uh, took break over the summer and I got in some maternity cover uh, despite there being no baby um, and no maternity um, you sound like you're disappointed like you and Stevie have been trying yes we have been trying very hard for a baby a Nobody Panic podcast she baby. won't accept you and oh, come on Stevie just <laughs> her eggs are hostile to come you on. swimmers we're running out of time here um no, we've. Anyway, it's quite a nice podcast. It's just sort of um, attempting to solve some grown up issues about how to do things in life. It's nice. Mm. Um, and I can't think of anything else to plug, really. Oh. Um, yeah, you, you, you're not in Edinburgh this year, so. No, I'm not in Edinburgh. I'm having a lovely summer, just chilling out. Lovely. So just download the bloody audio Lovely if available on Audible and all that kind of stuff. I'd love if you wanted to read the book. Um, you can come and find me on Twitter. I'm just at Tessa Coates. And that's all my news. Yes, the five. No, the actual novel five. Just letters. Okay. Um, thank you so much, Tessa. You thank are you so much, Caroline. A great guest and a good friend. Oh, Caroline. <laughs> You're a lovely girl. Chapter four. Darla has decided to take my rebound shag mission very seriously. So seriously, in fact, that she's willing to invite Becky out on a Saturday night. They seem to have developed a bond since our night at Piano Bar, and I feel a twinge of jealousy when I see them together, all jokes and easy chat. I resist the urge to dive in between them and shout, but you're both my friends, you can't go off and be friends on your own. I know I should take my rebound shag seriously too. I'm starting to fixate on every man I meet. All week I've been alternating my fantasies between David Lady and Clem Brown, treating them like snacks I can reach for if I'm feeling empty. I change it up depending on what I want sweet or savoury, ice cream or salted pretzels. I think about long, romantic moments with David Lady. I think about walks around duck ponds and breakfasts and cool white sheets. These are the things I think about during the day. At night, I reach for salt. My thoughts get darker, stranger, stickier. I think about being a different kind of girl and what it would feel like to be that girl with Clem. The fact that I'm even comparing them in the first place is strange. It's like being a dog person all your life, and suddenly waking up with the thought, hey, you know what? Cats. You're only doing this, Jane, I remind myself, because they're the only two men you're in contact with right now. Meet someone else, for God's sake. So I'm trying. We're at a fashionable pop-up bar in East London, and I am thrilled to find that, for once, I have dressed appropriately. The secret to dressing up for a night out in East London is to pretend you're coaching a goth baseball team. I have an Adidas vest on with no bra and a lot of dark lipstick, and I have to admit, I'm kind of into myself. I'm drinking gin out of a jam jar and hoping that tonight, at long last, I will ascend gracefully into my role of young, sexy Londoner. The kind of exciting young person who has infinite disposable income and knows where all the good clubs are and which night bus to get home. Becky ruins it. Can you believe how expensive these drinks were? Were they? £11 each! I mean, I know there's elderflower and rose water or whatever in there, but essentially it's just a gin and tonic, isn't it? I'll get the next round, don't worry. And I don't mind. 
Actually, I have some extra money now anyway. Uh, my girl's holiday has been cancelled this year. Poor Becky. No wonder she's putting so much energy into being a good friend to me. I know how much her girl's holiday means to her. Your what? says Darla, looking up from her phone. Um, every year me and the girls from school have our girls' holiday. We're all a bit, you know, scattered to the winds these days, and it's excuse to go somewhere sunny and go crazy for a week every year. Only, she rattles the ice in her glass with a straw. This year Tara wants to save up for her trip to India with her boyfriend, and Emma is saving for a mortgage, um, and Megan's job has got so crazy that she can't take any time off because she's a journalist now, and, and journalists don't take time off. So we said we'd leave it this year and, and go on a mega break next year instead. I can imagine the endless WhatsApp conversations that went into this decision. The excuses, the hesitation to book flights, the eventual, look, let's just not do it this year, conclusion that everyone except Becky knew was inevitable. I want to wrap my arms around her, take her to a place where best friends forever really does mean forever, and no one grows up and no one moves in with their boyfriend. I don't see any of my friends from school, volunteers Darla. I don't know why anyone would. I had very little in common with them then, and I have nothing in common with them now. You don't mean that, I say, trying to preserve the ideals of female friendship for Becky. Yes, I do. Do you know what it's like to be the only brown girl in Berkshire? I always had to be Scary Spice. You're Scary Spice now, I nudge her. You're fucking terrifying. Yeah, Jane, you try being a Muslim teenager after a 9-11, she says, with an exasperated eye roll. It was a total shit show, and the boys who liked me only fancied me to feel different. I have a whole stack of love letters that feature the words exotic and dusky. Darla drains the last of her drink and spies Becky's sad expression through her glass. She backtracks, softens. I do still see my uni girls, though. They're ace. Every woman is meant to have girls, or so I've been told. But I'm not sure who still counts as part of that circle. After I got together with Max, I disappeared down the relationship rabbit hole of couples' holidays and Saturday night curries box sets and anniversary dinners. The uni friends I moved to London with steamrolled through their early twenties and I turned down their invitations to go out so many times that they eventually stopped inviting me. I didn't mind, not usually, until I came across a heavily filtered picture of them on somebody's balcony, falling over one another to fit into the frame. Can I even say that I know those girls anymore? Can you reconnect with people when all you have in common is that you tottered down Old Street together as 22-year-olds in the wrong dress and the wrong shoes? The getting ready was always the best part. That I remember for certain. I had a real thing for false eyelashes, the kind you buy next to the barley sugars of the chemist for 3 99 We would smoke indoors on hard kitchen chairs while I dabbed craft glue on my eyelids. We drank iced white wine from plastic cups to avoid washing up. We played elaborate card drinking games, the commands for which were never properly remembered. There were never enough plug sockets to go round, not between the iPhone speakers and the hair straighteners and the phone chargers. Time was always getting away from us. There was always a last-minute rush as the taxi waited outside, as we scrambled for our ID and our debit cards, our lips shiny, goose pimples on our legs already. And then, the bolshy confidence we built up during our five-hour getting-ready session slowly eked out of us while we waited in line with a hundred girls who seemed more sophisticated. No matter where we went, nowhere seemed to be for us. We didn't know how to dance to house music, and we didn't understand what dubstep was. We knew how to scream along to Sex on Fire by Kings of Leon, and we didn't understand why anyone wouldn't want to do that. We paid incredible amounts of money to clutch our drinks awkwardly and feel provincial. We lived in London, but we weren't of London, a fact we could ignore most of the time, but not during the crush of a night out. We were like immigrants who settle without learning the local language or customs. We had built a Chinatown to our own bad taste. I think part of the reason I got into a long-term, committed relationship so young was to escape those nights and the feeling of desperation that came with them. I could have just as easily been one of the women breaking poor Becky's heart, refusing to go on a girl's holiday, planning for what I believed to be my future and losing my connection to the past. We plough on, following Darla's lead from cocktail bar to cocktail bar, and I knock back shot after shot of tequila with lime and salt. Does Clem drink tequila? No. Whiskey, I bet. I imagine him at home, drinking expensive Irish whiskey with a single ice cube, reading one of my reports. I can feel the hair on my neck rise at the idea, and then I'm angry with myself. Why are you entertaining this? Why are you thinking about this man in this way? 
I grabbed Becky's hand, dragging her onto the dance floor. We've ended up at a nostalgia night, listening to indie guitar hits from the early noughties. We danced to Razorlight and the Fratellis, stomping our feet and laughing at how many of the words we still remember. I look at them and think, maybe these are my girls. Maybe these are the women who I'm supposed to build my life around. Maybe this is the clique I go into the second half of my twenties with. Darla disappears just after 1am when she gets a text from a guy she's seeing. Becky is sloppy. Let's go on holiday, she says, hugging me. I'm broke, remember? Heartbreak isn't cheap. I don't recommend it. Let's go to fucking Scotland. Scotland is cheap. Everyone is poor in Scotland. Okay, I say, and she grins. We'll go to Scotland. I wonder if she thinks it will happen. Dear Jolly Politely, my housemate is an early adopter. This is techie speak for total bellend. Everything in our house has to be controlled by his phone. He boils the kettle with an app. He monitors how much water we're wasting with an app. And now he wants to buy an Amazon Echo that will automatically order our shopping. I have read up on Amazon Echo and apparently it records all your voice conversations, which doesn't disturb him at all. How do I make him understand that privacy is too high a price to pay to live with a spy who orders your toilet roll? Exhaustedly yours, Luddite. By Monday morning, I still haven't shaken off my hangover, which is awful because it turns out to be a very shouty morning. The pitch is on Friday, and Clem isn't happy with anything the team has produced. I'd feel worse about it, but I haven't really done anything except transcribe some research data. We sit in silence while he reviews the proposed artwork. He slowly flips over each glossy page of Photoshop pizzas. A picture of a mafia family eating pizza. No. A series of great Renaissance artists painting with pizza colours. No. Michelangelo's David holding a pizza. Are you fucking serious? He puts his thumb and forefinger on the bridge of his nose. These aren't it. David Lady crosses his arms. Well, could you tell us what's wrong with them? Clem looks like he is about to punch David, like what is wrong is so blindingly obvious that it is beneath him to explain what is wrong. He turns to me. Jane? Yes, I answer, briefly considering adding a sir, and then thinking better of it. I have never seen this side of him before, the tough one David had mentioned at lunch. Are you able to explain to David what's wrong with these? Everyone is watching me now, David looking horrified at what I've been asked to do. Excuse me? Tell me why these aren't right. I know you know. I can tell you by your face that you know these aren't right. No, that's just... I stall. My face. He is not going to rest until he has an answer. Until he has raked someone over hot coals. I meet David's eye, trying to give him a you-know-I-don't-want-to-do-this face. Well, the research packet they sent over tells us that Fat Eddie's customers see their food as a guilty pleasure, um, or a last resort something they'll pick up in a two-for-one special. Yeah, and it's our job to change that, interjects David, which is why we took this gonzo Italy approach, taking what you know about Italy and making it a bit cooler but still authentic. But it's a step too far, I say. I mean, the work you've done is amazing, but people don't associate this brand with Italy, and they never will, and they shouldn't. They're not even Italian-style pizzas, they're American-inspired. I mean, it's called Fat Eddie, there are stars and stripes on the box. David's face has gone a deep red. The images he and his team have produced are gorgeous, but the fat Eddie people would never buy it. And I know that because, seemingly, I'm the only person who has read a single thing about the client. Clem smiles. Jane, if you're quite done nailing David to the wall. The whole room laughs in gratitude, glad that Clem has finally decided to ease the tension. But you... He has already moved on. David looks at his shoes and Deb repeats her long list of reasons why this pitch is important for us. When the meeting ends, I try to catch up with David, but he scoots out of the room like, to borrow a phrase from my mother, a cat with a hot arse. I linger in the meeting room, too embarrassed to head up to the canteen with everyone else. Clem hangs back too, packing up his laptop and various bits of pizza paper. You're welcome, by the way. Excuse me? The team respects you. No one's going to fuck with you now that they know what you know, and that you know everything that they don't. David's my friend. Clem slips his arm into his leather satchel and lets out a long, loud sigh. He goes to the door and places his hand on the light switch. Jane, he says. I've seen a lot of women get nowhere because they were too afraid of upsetting people. Click. 
Darkness. Don't be one of them. And I'm alone. Dear Luddite, if you're going to get through to your housemate, strong moves are required. Here's a man of the future. You must be a man of action. You have outlined where you stand on having a small robot in your house that secretly records your conversations. And if he cannot respect that, I suggest you respond by wrapping the robot in tinfoil and throwing it out the window. Perhaps someone somewhere will mistake it for a baked potato. Whatever you do, remember this. A lot of good people get nowhere because they're afraid of upsetting people. Love, Jolly Politely. This has been Sentimental Garbage, and I've been Karen O'Donoghue. You can follow me on Twitter at ZaraLine, that's C-Z-A-R-O-L-I-N-E, or email me by the podcast at ZaraLineO'Donoghue at gmail.com. This has been a Justice for Dumb Women podcast. Thanks to Harry Harris for the jingle, Gavin Day for the logo, and Acast for the recording space. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.